All right, just gotta wait to see when old YouTube confirms this is working. You might be watching this now, but I have to wait until I get the green light to be sure from the old YouTubes. Almost there, everybody. Hang on, just another second. I believe we are live. Hi, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is my UFC 238 post-fight special. If you don't want spoilers, now is the time to get out of here because we're about to give you all of those blickies. We're going to do results. We're going to do analysis. We're going to do lots of things. So if you don't want spoilers, you got to get out of here. All right, let's get the show going. As I mentioned, I am Luke Thomas. I'm the host of The Luke Thomas Show on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Uh, if you want a link to listen for free for 30 days, that's in the description box below. I fixed my camera settings. Check this out. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Yeah, pretty nifty, right? Finally got that done. Spent all day setting up my camera. Um, okay, so... Uh, you know me from there. You know me from, uh, uh, I am on MMA Fighting as well. I'm the host of the MMA Beat. I'm the host of the MMA Hour. Bunch of other things you know me from. Plus, I am your host for this program tonight. UFC 238 just finished. So do me a favor. If you want to subscribe, I'm so close to 100,000. And I've told you, Donks, when I get to 100,000, I'm going to launch a podcast specific to this channel. So please help me get there. It's going to be great. Uh, best place to do that, of course, so you can subscribe right here. And if you want to get a question answered, you can donate in the Super Chat. Please, poor favor. Um, okay, what else? Uh, this is also brought to you by the Beta Academy. Great place to train in Washington, D.C. If you want to train, it's at the corner of 14th and Florida Northwest. And uh, you can do Muay Thai there. You can do Jiu-Jitsu there. You can do strength and conditioning there. Just tell them I sent you. All right? They might give you a deal. Okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> Woo, pretty good card. Pretty good card. UFC 238 is in the books. What can we say about it? Let me pull up the results. I don't have the numbers yet. Let me see here for attendance. I don't believe they sent them out yet. Uh, no, not yet. But, um, okay, your main event is in the books. Henry Cejudo defeats Marlon Moraes at 451 of round three. Ladies and gentlemen, it's hard to overstate how impressive that is. Okay, so he's the Olympic champion, Olympic gold medalist. He is the flyweight champion. He is the bantamweight champion. Even if you knew nothing, that is particularly impressive, right? Even if you knew nothing, you look at that and you say, Jesus Christ, that is um, highly impressive. Highly impressive that he could do something like that or that anybody could do something like that. But that's not totally why it's impressive. If you guys did not pay attention to the early parts of his career in MMA, he was seen as somebody who was a bit of a flake who just couldn't get it done. Now, he got by by, you know, um, naturally being better than the average MMA fighter just based on his athleticism and his wrestling pedigree. But he was missing weight. He was training with some weird people. Uh, he was pulling out of fights. Like, there was just a lot of things where you were like, the wrestling community, I remember I was talking to many people who were involved in wrestling, um, scouts at D1 schools, uh, journalists, and they were all telling me, they're like, ah, I don't know, this guy's kind of, hmm, he's not going to do so well. Because remember, what is one thing Daniel Cormier did that Henry Cejudo did not? And the answer is make multiple Olympic teams. Henry Cejudo made an Olympic team and then won a gold medal. And I remember when he tried to make the second Olympic team, he couldn't even make the national team. He, I don't think he made it past even the quarterfinals for the national team. He got 
easily housed. It, it wasn't even close. And so people thought he was like, not a flash in the pan exactly, but whatever that magic moment was, um, he couldn't keep it going, that he was training with people who were alchemists or... Um, you know, he just didn't have the same drive. He didn't have the same, just the, the right kind of structure, the right kind of real specialist, the right kind of people, and then the right kind of uh, uh, mental attitude to push himself to greatness. So he went to the UFC, and of course he fought uh, Chris Carriasso and Chico Camus and, jo- and Josio Formiga, and he did pretty well there, obviously, although the Formiga fight was pretty close. And then he lost those two fights back-to-back, and you kind of thought, well, that was his ceiling. Ladies and gentlemen... This is so interesting because if you go back and you look at not merely that fact that I've just mentioned, but if you also look at the fact that when he won his gold medal, I don't want to overstate this, but I know it was certainly true in the semis and the gold. I think it was true in the quarters, semis, and gold medal match. Cejudo was behind heading into the final period in all of those matches. In all of them, he had to come back. And he did. And he got the Olympic medal. Certainly, I think in the in the gold medal match, he was way down. He had to really dig deep. I think he uh, wrestled a Japanese guy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Henry Cejudo, in this fight, when he was uh, an Olympian, and in his MMA career, has shown himself to be somebody who can dig deep. What does that mean? You might know, but if maybe you've never been in a spot like this where you are so tired that your lungs feel like they're on fire and your heart is pounding so hard. And when that happens, your body is going to naturally tell you, stop, stop, no more, can't take it, you need to stop, quit, quit, quit. And if you're in pain on top of that, your nose is busted, your eye hurts, Marlon Marais was tearing into his leg, just literally running into that lead uh, sort of inside cut kick he was throwing. I mean, just just bruising him up, and he dug deep. And when his MMA career was, I will not say flagging, but maybe plateauing, he dug deep. And in his Olympic push to get a gold medal, when he was up against it all the way uh, through and, and not limited to his gold medal match, he dug deep. Dude, that is a guy that is... Man, if you can take that natural talent and you can harness it the right way, the things that can be done with him are, uh, you know, I won't say limitless, but much further than your imagination. I thought for sure Marais was going to win this fight. I don't do predictions anymore for this very reason, but my hunch was like, dude, Marais is quick. Um, He's got, you know, the takedown defense numbers don't look that good, but they're kind of misleading because he can get up pretty quick, which you saw for the most part. Um, and he's super powerful, and he hits hard, and he can, you know, he's got good lateral movement. And when the fight was fought that way, he was actually doing pretty good. It was when Cejudo just decided to stop doing that. Most people who try to do that just get viciously KO'd because he has Marais, you know, usually really good pinpoint accuracy. He hits hard. I mean, look at it to Aljamain Sterling finding him on the level change with the knee and brutally KOing him. He's amazing like that. He's amazing like that. But what ended up happening was Cejudo just got in his face, was quicker on the draw with him, faster punches, landing accurately, and kind of smothered him so that the kicks couldn't do much. It turns out that a big portion of of the game of Marais, even though he's got very good hands, is with the kicks. But just in speaking about Henry Cejudo, I'm I'm blown away. I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of blown away. I yeah. I'll have to eat my words. I eat my words. I didn't want to see this fight. I thought it should have been Marais versus Sterling. 
And in some ways, you could make the argument just for divisional sake, but uh, Cejudo, man. I hope everyone sort of is rethinking the loss, or the, excuse me, Dillashaw's loss to him. Not only was Dillashaw taking uh, performance-enhancing drugs, although it was hard to know what benefit he got exactly, but nevertheless, not a great sign. And then on top of that, you know, oh, the ref stepped in. Mm, you were kind of getting beat on before that. And, and uh, man, for, for a guy who started out in MMA as somebody the wrestling community had thought was kind of past it, even though he was so young, to turn it around and become what he has become, to win a gold medal and then two UFC belts, it's going to be a long time before you see somebody do that again. A very long time. Because remember, Cejudo never wrestled collegiately. He went right to the Olympics, right? He did. He never had any. He never. He didn't wrestle for Oklahoma State. He didn't wrestle for Penn State. He went right to the Olympics, and then he won a gold medal his first time out, and then he couldn't replicate it. Um, wow, I am blown away. Let me see if I can pull up some of the stats on this one. Let's see if we can go to Fight Metric, see what they have, because I'd be curious to take a look at some of those. Yeah, here we go. Uh, these, I don't know if these numbers change over time. Yeah, Cejudo throwing 81% to the head, 14% to the body, just 4% to the leg. Moraish throwing a lot to the leg. Here was one thing I noticed in looking at Moraish's numbers. When he throws a lot to the leg, when I would say I would say about you know 20% or higher, uh, his effectiveness is limited a little bit. He, he needs a kicking game to open up his hands, but he needs his hands to fundamentally connect. He can't just rely on the kicking game. If you take the kicking game away and he's forced it, like there's a delicate balance that he has there where he needs the kicks to set up the hands. Um, but if you take away just the hands and he's got the kicks, that's fine, but he can't he can't really escalate the offense. And if he's got just the hands, he can't really use them fully. Like he's got to get both. Henry Cejudo, and here's the other part about Cejudo's game, like such a chameleon, right? Where at first he comes out with a real wrestle-heavy boxing style, then again, and then the Hayes fight and some other ones, he came out with that wide open karate stance where he's fighting you at distance, and then in this one he tried a little bit of that, but then he got in your face and was just kind of almost Max Hollowing you backwards a little bit, and then attempting the uh, anaconda choke with the gator roll hits the gator roll. It's not enough, and I thought he had bellied him out there. I thought he had hit it. Tries for another Gator roll, and then you saw Marais go back down, then back up to kind of like loosen the the grip of it all. But just to have the presence of mind to do that, to try that against the guy who is that physically strong and impressive, it's so impressive. It's so impressive that he. I'm I'm kind of honest. I know I'm kind of blown away. I know this whole week everyone's like he's the king of cringe, and he is, man. That gimmick sucks. I don't like it, but. Jesus, if it gets him more attention and he's here calling out for more pay, who on earth could say no to that? Uh, he should get paid, man. If that guy doesn't get paid, who does? Who does? Oh, well, Connor, people who draw. Okay, man, but at some point, when you got a person who's out there making history like that, you got to pay that guy. You got to pay that guy. Um, <laughs> I'm blown away. I'm blown away. Let's see. Takedown attempts. Four attempted by Cejudo. He got one. Moraes attempted two. He got none of them. Um, head strikes, 73 for Cejudo. 73. Wow. That is a ton. All, total strikes landed um, in the end. 
Let me see. Total strikes, 59 for Marais, 100 for Henry Cejudo. Nearly double, double what he had. One of the keys to victory I had put out on this very YouTube channel was, if you saw him getting pressed, Marais, and then, uh, that's okay, but if he had, he had to throw back at a consistent rate, and he stopped doing that because he kind of got tired. How about, by the way, here was another one that I thought was going to be kind of interesting, was what was going to happen in that clinch. If it was in the clinch, what would what like what would happen? Would he get the takedown? If he got the takedown, what would happen with it? If he didn't get the takedown, would he stall out? This one I missed. Not only did Cejudo not stall out in the clinch, he was bodying the much stronger, bigger Moraes. Goes to show you what being proactive and on offense and really understanding that position. I remember that's how Demetrius Johnson beat him the first time. I think he learned a valuable lesson from that fight and went in there and just got good at that position. Again, on the takedown side as well as the stalling outside because he doesn't, when I say stall out, I don't mean like for, forever and ever, but like slow it down, get control of the fight, you know, make the person think about their defensive priorities and then go do something else. If it's not the takedown, then you could separate or whatever. This time he stuck around. Like if you're Muller Marais, you got to be fighting at the ranges you're good at, which is the kickboxing, yeah, which is basically the kickboxing range. If you're if you're if he's getting pushed backwards and he can't get off and he's throwing wildly just to throw and he's inaccurate and then you're smothering him and you're on top of him and you're inside that space and you're in that clinch, dude. Cejudo showed some weaknesses that I don't think we were really aware of that Marlon had. It's not just that he fights on the outside because he prefers it. He fights on the outside because I don't think he's very strong, at least not from this fight. I guess we'll have to see more, but certainly not not tonight was he very strong. Uh, in that position. When I say strong, I mean technically adept. I'm sure he's physically, you know, very strong, but he wasn't technically adept. I'm 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 so impressed, man. Like people win in ways I never anticipate all the time. You guys watch MMA, it'll happen like shit, every event, maybe. Uh, but then somebody comes along where it's not just tonight that was impressive. It's the arc of his career. He that I'm telling you guys, I am telling you, ask anybody in the amateur wrestling community, that guy was left for dead. And and not without good reason. There were people he was surrounding himself with and who he was training with who were quacks, man, who were not legitimate. The guys he has now, so much better. So much better. And look at the difference. It's not all they're uh, doing, but look at their difference, man. Look at the look at the difference that they have made. Incredible. Incredible. Dude, like, Marlon Marais is a bad motherfucker. Like, who are the guys he had beaten? Let me just review his resume here. I, I'm seriously speak kind of speechless. Rafael Sunsau, Jimmy Rivera, Aljamain Sterling, John Dodson. He had some losses way long ago in his career in 2011. He got submitted back to back. Jesus, at one time he was a five and four fighter. Oh, wow, he lost to Davidus Torsavisius. That's funny. Um, but then you know didn't lose to Rafael Sunsau in his UFC debut. Went on an incredible run in a World Series of Fighting, beating Shaman Moraes. Man, 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 incredible. That 2008 Olympic team, let me look that up here just to be clear. 2008 men's freestyle wrestling team. That is truly one of the most badass teams. Henry Cejudo was your 55-kilogram rep. 66 was Doug Schwab out of Iowa. Uh, Then 74-kilo Ben Askren. And then 84 kilo, uh, Andy uh, Horovat, you guys don't know him, uh, interviewed him, beat the streets a long time ago. Daniel Cormier at 96 kilo, and then Steve Mako at 120 kilo. Steve Mako, your wrestling coach, 
down at ATT. That was your that was your Olympic team for 2008, the men's freestyle team, like MMA all stars <laughs> coming out of that. Man, incredible! Wow. <sighs> Sometimes things happen. You just can't believe it, man. You just can't believe it. This is one of those nights. Certainly on this front, it is. So I'm trying to juggle a thousand things here. What is this? What did someone tag me in? Someone says, uh, main event takeaways. Moraes didn't really want it. He looked broken. Yeah, because he was tired. He did want it. Henry's the real deal. The so-called guru coach Mark Henry may be overrated. His fighters haven't been performing on the biggest stage. No. There was a bit of an issue of... Um, some of that advice between rounds was kind of weird. When he was like, think about your mom. Now, one of those... Th- Whenever you hear something like that, you're always like, dude, maybe give him some like fight advice about what he needs to be doing. He did give him some, you know, counter on the inside. Um, don't swing wildly with hooking punches, come linear through the middle. But also, you have to know like what your fighter responds to. Some fighters respond to stuff like that. They respond to, hey, you grew up poor. This is a chance to do something about it. Some don't. Like, so when people look at that and they go, well, why didn't you give him like real fight advice? Maybe every other fighter he does. Maybe like with Caitlin Chukagian he does, or Frankie Edgar he does. But maybe with Marlon he wanted to try something a little bit different. A lot of times too, it's like, oh, we're giving this guy technical advice and then they're not listening. All right, let's try something else. The technical advice didn't work, so it could be that too. Could be it could be a couple different things. But Henry Cejudo, man, wow, man, I pff, didn't see that coming. That is extremely impressive. All right, now, speaking of extremely impressive, oof, Valentina, let me check on the feed here, make sure everything's going right. Everything looks good. Yeah, everything looks good. Uh, okay, how's it looking here? Yeah, okay. Um, how about Valentina Shevchenko, y'all? Knocking out Jessica I at 26 seconds of the second round. If you guys have been watching the uh, Monday Morning Analyst, I've been talking about it over and over and over and over and over again because it is one thing to know about how to throw a nice, clean punch, you know, sitting down on the punch from the hips, not telegraphing it, kind of chambering it, uh, you know, and throwing nice linear punches and bringing it back and making sure your defense is right and where your feet are supposed to be and how to circle out. Those are all nice things. Those are all incredibly important things. Those might be more important than the thing I'm saying now because the thing I'm about to say is really just another level that comes with sophistication. So there's the the building blocks. of. And by the way, this does not just go for striking. In fact, the person who taught me all this was teaching me about it. Um, he liked to use it for grip fighting in jiu-jitsu with the gi. He liked to use half-beat technique with the gi. But the whole point being is go back and watch the kick that Shevchenko throws to viciously KO Jessica I, in which, by the way, KO of the year contender, and who the fuck is going to beat her in that weight class? We'll get to that in a second. That kick, yeah? She throws it, and it lands on the half beat. Jessica I, when the kick, when she initiates the kick, I is between steps. And so right as the kick lands, I had just planted the ball of her foot, but she hadn't put all her weight on it. So like at a moment when you least expect it, when your body is literally the least able to prepare, 
because you're not flat-footed and at least able to shell up. You're not able to do or or to be on your feet going the other direction. Because remember, I was kind of barreling into her, and she caught her on the half beat. So understand everything. She had set her up in the first round by going to the body over and over and over again. And by the way, I kind of had the arm. You know, she was kind of hunched over a little bit, which made it worse for the head kick. But she was kind of getting ready to like protect. Even those body kicks were kind of they weren't coming like this. Let me see if I can see myself. So I can make it look right. They weren't coming like this. They were coming like this. She was, imagine, you know how you take an axe and you can't come down on an angle? She was taking the axe coming up like that, right? So a completely different angle she was hitting her from. Incredible. Incredible, like, (laughs) just deadly ability to be able to do something like that. In any event, so then the second round comes out and she's barreling into her, barreling into her. She's done all this setup work in the first. By the way, I think she landed and threw one significant strike, Jessica I. She gets taken down because she can't underhook. There was a huge strength differential. She moved him out. The one thing I thought she was doing pretty good was um, using that left leg as a butterfly hook. uh, Rather than, okay, for a time she was using it just as a... Uh, the lockdown to stall. I'll come back to it. Anyway, but she did the butterfly hook, and so she able she was able to mitigate the worst of things. Nearly got, you know, those submissions, those key lock submissions. So the idea is, um, they call they call it a paintbrush. They call it an americana. They call it a key lock. It's all the same. A lot of people do it up here, right? And what they do is they put the they call it a paintbrush because imagine you take the back of your hand, you put it on the canvas, the elbow comes up, the hand comes like this. Um, and then they, they, what they do is they just wrench it this way. The key to that, uh, when you really, it, it works better on like super uh, well muscled or just big people. Not even well muscled, just big people. That's why you see heavyweights tap from it a lot because their arms have no give. Look at how much give these women are. If you, I, I didn't, I thought this was like just sexist bullshit, but it's actually quite true. Uh, when the first time I was ever a bouncer, they were like, uh, women are much more flexible when you put them in you know, police holds to escort them out. And I didn't think, I didn't think it was true. I don't, I don't know why I just didn't. And it's completely true. They're way more limber. They're harder to get with some of those things. Anyway. Um, so it was a nice attempt from that crucifix, but it was never going to go anywhere. But with the paintbrush, the key is I usually have a hand at the ear. Um, and then the key is really driving the hand down. And then, uh, you have to, you have to, um, glide the hand down. You can't just leave the hand in place and then wrench. You have to bring it down. You have to you have to push on that thing. Um, that's the way you get it with a really nice. And then I usually put the elbow by the ear. And also, like I actually blew a person's ear at once when you just put the elbow by the ear and then like that. Anyway, set all that shit up. Did all that nice work. Second round comes out. Ice barreling into her in a corner, trying to set the angle. And Shevchenko, you know, she. I caught a fade. I don't know how else to say it, man. Head. And by the way, Daniel Cormier was talking about, oh, if she had that glove up, it would have helped. Go back and look at that kick. That kick was on. Look look at here. See where the white ends here and then the gray kind of starts? I realize these are subtle differences because I'm going gray like it's a contest. But nevertheless, like right about here, the crown of the head, that was right at the crown of the head. I have seen guys lean like this and then the kick comes right over the top like that, right? So... I'm not sure it would have mattered, to be quite candid with you. You'd have to have like rampage-like discipline to get that blocked the right way. Um, knocks her out clean. Go back and watch that thing. Caught her on the half beat. And like to be able to set everything up that way, 
to be able to land with such ruthless efficiency where, you know, one shot, one kill, pull the trigger, bang, like they just drop to, to, to gauge distance like that. And then to add on top of that, that you nail that person with the kind of timing like that, like the most sophisticated kind of timing, who is going to beat her? Caitlin Chukagian was like, I want a title shot. Careful what you wish for. Careful what you wish for with her. I don't envy anybody from that division who has to fight her. That is going... Let me look at the rankings for that division. Like, by the way, I thought she beat Amanda Nunes the second time. People were like, oh, how good is Amanda Nunes? Obviously amazing, right? Amazing. She's got those wins. But I I kind of sternly thought Shevchenko had won the second fight. But here is who is uh, at the top of flyweight. Jessica I, who just got viciously KO'd. Chukagian, Karmouche, Jacek, who she already beat. Motiferi, Calderwood, who lost tonight. Alexis Davis, Lauren Murphy, Jennifer Maya, Andrea Lee. Yo, none of them can win. Maybe Liz Carmouche if she can wrestle. Maybe. Uh, everyone, I mean, that division is walking dead, y'all. Good luck. Now, Macy Barber's at 13. If she can get time to get better, it'd be interesting to see what she can become. Um, yeah, Paige Van Zandt at 14, like... Oh, that would be a butchering. Uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. I don't know who's going to beat her. That is going to be a very, very interesting thing. She is incredible. She's a cyborg from the year 3100 sent back in time to murder us, man. Just ruthless, ruthless efficiency. And, and did you notice how good she was at just staying out of punches, ducking when she needed to duck, circling out when she needed to circle? Just make, She always does such a good job of maintaining good distance. Her, her strikes are accurate. Her technique is efficient. Her timing is impeccable. Her distance management, I won't say perfect because no one's ever perfect with that, but very good, very good. Dude, she's hard to land on, and when she lands on you, it has, it ha, you know, it's... Her, her, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, man. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous what she can do. And poor Jessica I, like, I looked at the odds beforehand. I think she was like a plus 3,100 favorite. Shit, man. In retrospect, that might have been conservative. I'm not sure that was, I'm not sure that accurately reflected. Like, here's the weird part about that, dude. People were telling, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a common complaint you get with matchmaking, which is, oh, I don't want the champion to fight that person because they could fight somebody else. And maybe that person that somebody else is not really in line but it'd be a more interesting fight and better for commerce. And then the argument you'd want to make is, look, sometimes that just happens, but you you want to have divisions where the champion defends against the most rightful contender, and that may not always be uh, the most exciting fight. It, it may not be, but, but that's the right thing to do. Um, and I thought that's what the case was here. Because I had lost, excuse me, she had changed weight classes and then won three in a row. Now, two of those were by split decision, but just sort of look at the math here a little bit. She changed weight classes. She won three in a row. She won three in a row all in 2018. It's a new weight class. Like, yeah, man, she might actually be your top contender there, to be quite honest with you. Here's the problem. What do you do when your top contender is so far behind the champ that you're booking mismatches. What do you do then? <laughs> Cause that was a mismatch. That they weren't even in the same ballpark of ability. That was a total route. What are the fucking numbers on that one? 
Let me please see that from Fight Metric. Because that was a, a, a beat down. That was one of the great beatings of the 2000s. Um, holy shit, man. Here are the numbers. Round one. Uh, I'm not sure how they graded this. This must have been... Oh, right. Okay. Um, Shevchenko landed six of eight significant strikes. Jessica I, one of seven. Valentina Shevchenko landed two of three in the second round, and then uh, Jessica I, one of five. I would love to know what the one of five is. Two takedowns for Valentina Shevchenko, 75% striking accuracy. One sub-attempt recorded three different passes she was given. Um, by the way, that lockdown thing she has, DC was talking about, there's actually a lot of ways to get out of the lockdown. Uh, one of the what ways that a lot of people don't realize is you have to be really good with your top control, but um, you can just bring whatever leg that someone's trying to lock down. Next time you're watching this, just whatever the leg is. If that person brings their heel to their rear end and then kind of windshield wipers it where they end up switching their hips to face into their opponent, uh, and then they bring their knee past the other person's knee line with their legs, it goes away instantly, and then you can't re-get it. There's ways to get out of it where you can just bring it to your uh, uh, knee and then windshield wiper it, but then if you switch your hips facing into your opponent, bring your knee up past theirs, they actually can't get it back. Now, that may give them some space to underhook and get up, so there's you know, you're trading different kinds of problems for the scenario there, but that's one way to get it. Anyway, here's the thing. I made this point a million times. I made it with DC versus Cormier. Uh, sorry, DC versus uh, Silva. If you are underneath and you have the lockdown and you are only holding on and you're not even underhooking, because they're, for folks who don't know about the lockdown, I'm not in any way super well-versed in 10th Planet, and I had some 10th Planet people write me after the last time I said this, but they will agree with this. Generally speaking, not in totality, but generally speaking, if you have the lockdown, that's okay, but to do anything with it, you got to be underhooking constantly on the same side, constant underhooking. And so if you're just, look, next time someone has a lockdown, watch what they're doing with their arms. If they're overhooking or just kind of um, doing bi inside bicep control and they're not doing anything else, dude, they're fucking stalling. They are stalling. They are stalling. It's not okay. And so how do you fix that? Do you stand them up? Nope. You either warn them, depending on the situation, you can leave them there, you can take a point while they're doing it, whatever, but you are stalling. You have to do something with it. Or if you're really good from lockdown and you don't need the underhook, well, then do the other things that you don't need the, the underhooks for. But a, a, a large array of the offense from that position, it comes from the underhook. So if you see someone in lockdown who's not like a super Eddie Bravo type and they're not underhooking and they have the lockdown, stall. Stall call. That's that is. I am a firm believer in this. Um, we'll come back to that as well. Again, all right. So don't forget, subscribe to my channel. I am so close to a hundred thousand. I'm so close. I can get there in just a couple of maybe a few months. Whoops. I can get there in a few months if you guys just help me out. I am. I am this. I am this close. I'm this close. And of course, donate in the super chat. I'll get to your questions here um, before too long. All right. Let's get to that Tony Ferguson fight, shall we? Tony Ferguson defeats Donald Cerrone, Dr. Stoppage, at the end of the second round. So he uh, he was getting tuned up, Donald Cerrone was, in the second round. Not so much the first, but in the second round. And uh, he had a busted up nose and a face. He goes, like me, after my nose surgery, I had a sinusplasty a few weeks ago, as you guys will know. And he goes like this, and he tries to honk it out. And what ends up happening is, I don't quite understand the mechanics, but my guess is it actually does affect your sinus. And so it, it, your eye will just... Uh, swell up instantly like it happens like within a, a couple of seconds if that 
And so his eye was already pretty jacked up. And then when he did it, it just closed completely. And so they called the fight off. What can you say about the fight itself? Let me tell you something about Tony Ferguson, if I may. Number one, this is who he has. This is These are not all his UFC wins. But these are all of his UFC wins since his loss in 2012. He beat Mike Rio and, by the way, finished him. He beat Katsunori Kakuno, finished him. Uh, fought Danny Castillo, split decision, but I thought he won that point pretty cleanly. Abel Trujillo, finished him. Gleason Tebow, finished him. Josh Thompson, won. Edson Barboza, finished him. Landon Venata, finished him. Rafael DeSanjos, completely outclassed him. Kevin Lee, finished him. Anthony Pettis, finished him. Donald Cerrone, TKO, doctor stoppage, but that, I, that's a finish in my book. So let's see, how many wins is that? That is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Those are 12 wins, and of those wins, only 1, 2, 3 decisions. 9 wins, including over the guy who's got the most UFC wins ever in Donald Cerrone, former champion Anthony Pettis, former champion Rafael Dos Anjos, and then perennial top contenders all the way down. If Tony Ferguson... Does not get a title shot, ladies and gentlemen. I'm I'm being facetious here, but we riot. It would be an absolute travesty for this guy not to get it. And I know everybody loves Connor and they want to see him back. Understand what I'm about to say. My job is easier when Connor comes back. I can make a gazillion YouTube videos and they're all going to do great numbers, even if I just go in there and just say Connor McGregor and then do armpit fart noises. There can be no value to it at all and it will do crazy numbers just because it's Connor McGregor. I want to see him back for selfish reasons. You want to see him back for selfish reasons. Hell, I would like to see, I suppose, a rematch with Habib. Fuck that noise for the next fight. The winner of Dustin Poirier versus Habib, it has got to be Tony Ferguson. How on earth could anybody have a better claim to that? Oh, Connor sells pay-per-views. Sell pay-per-views in the co-main event, bucko, because the guy who deserves it is this one. It is this one. You are talking about a historic run in the toughest division in the sport, and he's not eking to the finish line. He's blowing through them like he's got the boomstick in, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Evil Dead? I mean, it's ridiculous what this guy is doing. It is, I, I was saying this tonight on Twitter, like you're watching you're watching Tony and you're watching Cerrone. Cerrone, okay, being, being the winningest fighter, at least in terms of aggregate number of wins, you know he's going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. Dude, I'm telling you, Tony's going to end up there too. So you're looking at two potential, but seems like decent candidates for the freaking Hall of Fame, man. For the freaking Hall of Fame. And the winner can't get a title shot? He hasn't lost since uh, with, uh, the last the first time that Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway fought? How is that possible, dude? How is it possible that we're even debating this? The last time he lost, May of 2012, he, he started his campaign of winning at UFC 166, man. It's it's just a no-brainer. It's the easiest call in the universe. And even with the ease of that call, I'm still not sure that it's going to happen. I still have a feeling we're going to be having to uh, have a conversation about why it's not happening. Now, as for the fight itself, it was just exactly what you would expect. Um, Tony driving into him constantly uh, with a huge variety of weapons. He has that same sort of running inside leg kick that he uses that Marlon Moraes uses. Didn't go to the uppercut too much because he was getting countered a lot. 
uh, backing up straight. Cerrone was having a great deal of, uh, if you know Cerrone sometimes, will kind of chamber a punch with his elbow high to come over the gloves. So rather than keeping the elbows inside, he'll actually whip the elbow over the top. You ever seen that? And he was doing that to uh, a retreating Tony Ferguson. That was happening quite a bit. So he was having a great deal of success with that. Both of them were exchanging leg kicks pretty hard, both inside and outside. So that was nice to see. Um, but it was just Tony just kind of getting in his face. And the difference was in the second round, that's when you saw Cowboy really begin to wear it on his face. People forget this. It's not just that Tony has like all kinds of crazy good offense or that he has great pressure or that he has an unbelievable gas tank, all of which are true uh, and a good chin, obviously. It's uh, he can crack. He can crack. He actually hits really hard. That was something that became apparent on the Ultimate Fighter pretty quickly and uh, has been a, an important feature like the ramsey Nijum fight where he just flatlined him. You know, it's hard to flatline some of these guys at the top of the division, but to put a beat down on them where you're changing how they look uh, and changing their face, yeah, he's done that to all of these guys. Think about the – okay, here, ready, here, here, just put this in your mind. Remember the face of Anthony Pettis at the end of the fight? It was all covered in blood. Remember the face of Kevin Lee? Remember the face of Rafael Dos Anjos after five rounds of that? Remember the face of Lando Venata all covered in blood? How about the face of Edson Barboza all covered in blood? And so on and so on. Dude, the guy gets out there and just starts hurting these boys. Um, and so that's when it really began to wear on him. So he was going to the body. I would like to see if I could any of the numbers on this one. Uh, let me see if I can pull them up. Yeah, here we go. Tony Ferguson. This is this sort of tells you everything you need to know. Tony Ferguson landing 104 uh, out of 200 significant strikes. So about a little over 50%. Uh, Don Cerrone, 68 of 105, so a little bit closer to one-third, not nearly as much. Uh, one takedown he scored, but he didn't do a whole lot with it in the end. Um, yeah, Tony Ferguson, 62% to the head, 24% to the body, 13 to the leg. Nearly identical with Donald, 63 head, 22 body, 14 leg. Uh, all of them at distance. 99% for Tony, 100% for um, uh, Cowboy. Trying to look at the numbers here in the second round. Yeah, 52 significant strikes for Tony and then 30. So there were 38 for D Donald in the first one and then down to 30 in the second one. So the, 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 the amount he was throwing was just kind of dropping off. He landed, uh, Cerrone did, 28 head strikes in the first round, only 15 in the second. He was going to get put on him. It's funny, like Cowboy or um, Ferguson doesn't use his reach as much as he could. But when he does, it's so maximally effective, and his and his and his um, again he hits so hard, it ends up having this like tremendous effect. Um, so that's what you saw a lot of there. I'm trying to think about more of the details uh, from the fight itself. Yeah, Cowboy had some moments just from Cerrone allowing to some degree he was allowing the pressure so that he could react to it and then push back into it and catch him off guard with some of that stuff. Um, but in just an incredible performance, it, it, you know, it marred the the ending ended the way that it did. But what are you going to do, man? I mean, these are you know these guys are fighting these tremendous battles. Um, they can't all be, they can't all end heroically. Got my beam and Coke Zero. Um, all right, let me look at some of these. Um, if you have more questions about it, by, by all means, ask. But let me look at some of the rest of these results. We'll go through them very quickly, then I'll get to your questions. Very quickly, uh, Piotr Jan defeating Jimmy Rivera. He was a little bit hesitant at first, but then when he once he started to heat up, he got things going. 
Uh, tough run for Rivera. He loses 29-28, 29-28, 30-27. Very quickly, the only thing I'll say on this is when, first of all, Piotr Yan, uh, I, okay, you know how Dominic Cruz is like the king of the underhooks? I'm the king of the grips. Go watch Piotr Yan. When anyone tries to fire an underhook, he pummels immediately. When they try to go for locked hands, he breaks it immediately. When someone goes to grab a wrist, he he strips the grip immediate, immediately and with tenacity. Go watch Piotr Jan do that, dude. He is so good at the immediacy of it and the tenacity of it. I love that from him. But more to the point, if you've got two fighters and one simply has a more diverse skill set than the other, and the one that is less diverse is not a particular kind of specialist. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred in MMA, if they're of reasonable, uh, uh, you know, similarly skill levels, the one who's got a more diverse skill set is going to win. That's what you saw here. He was able to switch stances upon him. I've talked about it a million times on the Monday Morning Analyst. When you have a fight that is inside the two black lines, it's one kind of fight. When you have a fight that's outside the two black lines, where you're close to the fence, it's a completely different kind of fight. You saw that very much here. People's options change and their behavior change. How do you know that? Number one, well, you've got less places to move. You've got less options to do things. And so you, as a consequence, what did you see from Jimmy Rivera? He get kind of frozen in place for a second. Then that left hand through the phase shifting that Peter Yan would do, he would catch him. Blagoy Ivanov defeating Taito Ivasa, 230-27, 129-28. Don't care about this fight. Uh, Tatiana Suarez, let's talk about her very quickly, defeating Nina Ansaroff. 329-28. So I thought she won the first two, and then Nina clearly won the third. Nina doing a really good job of defending uh, both the takedown, uh, getting her base spread apart when she got taken down. She was very good about uh, – she did, actually did something kind of interesting. She used knee shield to stop the pass. Then she would take the knee shield because remember what a knee shield is. I have my knee in one of your hips, and I have my foot on the other hip. So you're of this, you have the whole – you have the whole um, – you know, shin bone pressing into their hip. She would do that and then kick out almost like she was going for a, um, a, um, the hooking isn't the same, but almost like a, uh, for, for a butterfly sleep, your hook inside the leg, but it's a similar kind of mechanical motion. She would do that. And then when Tatiana would base out, she would then feed in the other leg and then get full guard as a consequence, which was really kind of slick. Apparently, Suarez hurt her neck in training and then couldn't wrestle with her neck. And if you've never wrestled, uh, that may not sound like much, but that's everything. Your posture is everything. Your strength builds from your head, through your neck, through your upper back, and everything else. And you have to be able to post off of it. You have to be able to push with it. You have to be able to control with it. It's another appendage. And without that, and by the way, this has been a lingering issue. If you don't anything about her background, her neck has been fucked up for a long time. Some folks are going to say, oh, it's just an excuse. If you don't want to believe it, you don't have to believe it. Um, I still think that Nina Ansaroff, after the Claudia Gadelia fight, proved to me she was the real deal Holyfield. To me, this fight wouldn't have gone much different, but I do give credit to Ansaroff for making it as difficult as she did. And it sort of shows, you know, that was Suarez's eighth pro fight. So she's only got eight pro fights. But if you can take away the wrestling, um, the guard passing was not great from her. The ground and pound from full guard was not great. Like you can't, I've said this before, can you pass guard on the ground with your knees on the ground if someone has full guard around you? Technically, yes, but it's very difficult to do. And it sometimes can be a little bit risky. The best way to pass guard 99 times, 99.9 times out of 100, you got to get on your feet. And so if you don't see someone doing that and getting on their feet, that's a problem. And then the other part was Ansarov would have her feet in the hips of Suarez 
and then Suarez wouldn't fish it off. Like, go back to the first Demetrius Johnson-Henry Cejudo fight. How did he get pushed off and lifted? Because Johnson put both of his feet in the hips, picked him up, and then you can control someone's weight from that. And uh, she didn't address it. So there are some refinement issues there a little bit that need to be worked out. Uh, Aljamain Sterling putting on a great performance against Pedro Munoz, winning 30-27 across the board. He's your number one contender at bantamweight. I don't know what's going to happen because, you know, you had – you had Henry Cejudo not call him out. He wanted Dominic Cruz. I think he wants some bigger names. But this is sort of where we are at this point. Um, but he looked pretty good. We'll talk more about that throughout the course of the week. Alexa Grasso with a phenomenal rebound performance against Karolina Kovalkiewicz, winning 30-27 across the board. You know, man, sometimes you train for two years, and you don't feel like you're making progress, and you don't feel like you're making progress. And then all of a sudden, like everything just starts to click, and you just got better. And so the progress is really uneven. It's not linear. It doesn't happen like this. It can go like this. It can stay kind of flat and up and down and up and down and then way down and then kind of back up. And then some days and some weeks and some years, you just walk. It looked to me like Grasso had finally gotten out of some kind of rut she was in. And Kovalkiewicz seems to be uh, seems to have entered one. Calvin Cater just viciously KO and Ricardo Lamas. You know, Ricardo Lamas just beat Darren Elkins at UFC Argentina. So my thought is, if he can get on top and he can still do ground and pound, he's still very, very good. Standing on the feet, he's kind of, uh, I think he's worth 30, how old is Ricardo Lamas? 39? 37. 37 years old. He's just taking a lot of damage. He just can't hang with these these guys. Calvin Cater is uh, 31. So doesn't have as many miles on him and doesn't have the same kind of age issues. Again, I'm going to mispronounce her name. Xiao Nan Yan defeating Angela Hill, 29-28 across the board. Darren Stewart in a terrible fight, 229-28-130-27. Eddie Wineland defeating Grigory Popov. Phenomenal performance for Eddie Wineland. Really stuck to what his weapons were and uh, made good use of them. And then Caitlin Shukagian defeating Joanne Calderwood. She wants a title shot. Yo, I wouldn't want one. <laughs> I wouldn't want one. You want to fight that monster? J- Valentina Shevchenko, fuck that noise. I don't want, I wouldn't want a thing to do with that. All right, so subscribe. Wait, wait. Subscribe. Yes, subscribe, subscribe. And then donate in the super chat. I will answer your questions. Or a mismo. All right, let's get to them. What do we have? Huh? All right. What a comeback by Cejudo, says Notorious VC. How did his striking improve so quickly along with his willingness to strike? Go Raptors, we the North. Raptors might win this whole thing. Um, you know, again, i got to go back and watch the tape. I can only tell you what I have saw in real time. Uh, but to me, he has a really adaptable style, and he was better at different ranges. Again, really good in tight, really good with same side weaponry. Right, he can go throw a right to a body, right over the top, right, you know, lead uppercut with the with the same side hand. He had some real versatility. He kept going to. Did you notice? Did you notice he kept going to the same weapons over and over because they were landing? So he had this ability just to sort of make adjustments on the fly. Man, that's the thing. Like if you have a really good game and you can beat most people with it, that's awesome. But what happens if that game gets taken away? Now what do you do? The better fighters are the ones that have some series. This is why everyone's like, why are you on? Why do you size Max Holloway so hard? Because he has that. Okay, even then, you can't beat everybody, and Dustin Poirier was a bridge too far. Still, what Max Holloway has is this incredibly adaptable game where he can do a lot of things. It's another reason why John Jones loses. You take away certain things, he's got a million other weapons. Pick your favorite fighter. They probably like that. I love the specialists just as much as you guys do. 
but they're limited for that reason. They're limited for that reason. Uh, okay, let's go. Let's see here. Uh, that Indian dude says, people can make all the cringe judo jokes uh, all they want, but let's take stock here. Youngest Olympic champion for U.S., two-weight class champion. When he hangs it up, one of the best to ever do it. There, this, there can be no doubt. He doesn't have the same lengthy resume that a, that a Cowboy Cerrone has, but in terms of like the peak of his ability, holy shit, man. <sighs> Not going to see many guys like that. Is Cejudo the greatest combat sports athlete yet? He is certainly in the running for the most, um, you know, uh, diversely talented. Because you ask the like, greatest combat sports athlete, what does that mean? You know, is he a better combat sports athlete than somebody who won three gold medals in wrestling? Like doing it back to, he couldn't even make another team. You know what I mean? So it's like, is what he is what Henry Cejudo showing unbelievably impressive? Yes. Does it pose an interesting question? Yes. How do we determine how do we determine greatness here uh, through that versatility? If that's the question, he's certainly up there. Um, but if you're asking about dominance inside the combat sports space. I would argue that, um, and there are some, there are some, there are some wrestling medalists who've won, you know, uh, four medals, four gold medals. You know, in a in a sport with an extremely high participatory rate, especially if you came from Russia, so you're winning all the Russian nationals, and then you're going out there and you're winning gold medals. Like, dude, that is a fucking incredibly difficult thing to do, and you're talking about over the course of like sixteen to twenty years, where you have to do that. I mean. How do you weigh that? So, but that's one that's one sport versus this where he's had to learn jujitsu, he's had to learn striking. Because remember what he showed today? He showed Anaconda to the Gator Roll, which by the way has there's there's Gator Rolls in, in, in amateur wrestling, but Anaconda to the Gator Roll. He's got a great jab. He had that wide karate stance. Like he's definitely if the idea is who's like got a lot of command of different kinds of combat sports, then he's certainly in the running. No doubt about it. I just think we have to clarify what that means. I see some people giving out donations, but no asking no questions. I appreciate you. Someone says, Mexican fighters have been on fire as of late. <laughs> yeah, dude. They're upset city, right? right? <laughs> Fuck. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, does Tony wait for Habib or let Cowboy run it back? There's no way they're going to run that back. Tony needs to... Tony need, Dude, the guy is 35. is going to be 36. Give him an effing title shot for crying out loud. The, the, the windows are closing here. Even if he became champion, how long could he hold it? Like till he's 40 in the lightweight division? Maybe? Because Tony is the only person who can turn uh, alchemy into gold. But even then, like, you're pushing it, dude. You're pushing it. Like He needs to get the title shot now. Uh, thanks for the content. Valentina is the best. Cejudo makes Covington seem likable. Grasso also looked fantastic. All true statements. Uh, Cejudo versus Cruz for the GOAT title. GOAT of what? Bantamweight? I don't know. I, I would want to see the fight, but I don't know. I would put those kinds of labels on it. Luke, big fan. No question. Just keep on keeping on. Congrats on the baby. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate that. Carlos Maza and Vox. Love silencing competition. Well, he paid $2 to say that, so thanks. Uh, again, person pretending to be Harvey Weinstein says, Luke, I cannot be happy to hear you have generated offspring. 
to continue the great work we do. May a professional legacy like ours continue. Shalom. Sure, man. Uh, does it make it more or less likely to end 125? Um, so here's the deal. They're going to treat, it looks like what they're going to do is they're going to treat men's flyweight something akin to women's featherweight. Now, not identically, but the, what Dana told uh, Aaron Bronstetter was, okay, if you, got, if you have the 145 and 155 pound men's titles, it's just not, or, or, like, or like Cormier. Cormier had the light heavyweight and the heavyweight title. Dude, it's not realistic in terms of health and the ability to be frequent to 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 defend both titles. You can't do that. It's not realistic. But if there's not much of a flyweight division, and you're the bantamweight champ, can you do that? Now, my hunch is even that might be a bridge too far, but that seems way more doable way more doable than than the alternative so i think that's what they're going to try to do so does he does it keep 125 around i think it actually does but the question is in what state like okay you'll have 125 around what does that mean you're gonna have eight guys it might mean that it might mean that uh do you think this means the end of flyweight not imminently Someone's weird. It says Henry took the condom off in the second. He's top three. Sure. Um, thought Joe's commentary was poor tonight. Yeah, didn't care for it. I'll tell you this, though. Uh, I've not cared for Joe's commentary for a long time, though. But I will tell you, it's just personal. Everyone's like, oh, you don't like it? If you like it, it's fine. I mean, it's not. It's, he's a does the pay-per-views. It's fine. Whatever. Um, I'll tell you who was good tonight was Cormier. When Cormier is walking you through in real time, he's watching it and then he's articulating what's happening for what re, uh, elite wrestlers are doing. Like so, so if he's commentating a Habib fight, or in this case a Tatiana Suarez fight, where she's doing this, this sort of high-level gripping and what she's switching to, to, he's like the best in the game when he does that. He's, he's amazing at that. Uh, let's see. I missed a bunch here. Shit. Fuck, I like missed like a whole shitload of these. Hang on, let me go back. Okay, here we go. What do you think of Cejudo's callouts? I hated all of them. Yeah, I hated all of them too, except the callout to get paid. I was happy to hear that. Uh, did round three of Tatiana versus Nina from Dalton put a ding in your opinion of her chances against Andrade and the top three? Um, in a five-round fight, maybe. I think the issue is here is, uh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit, but remember, it's her eighth fight. She has this neck injury. I know people are like, oh, who gives a fuck about a neck injury? Like what? Fighters aren't biological creatures that where things break down. This is a documented long-term problem that she's had. Um, so I guess what I would say is, yeah, probably a little bit, but not in an alarmist kind of way. Not yet, anyway. Someone says, I won't make the mistake of underestimating Cejudo ever again. Shit, man, I've done it twice in a row. What a dumbass I am. That being said, he mentioned 145 tonight. Holloway massacres him. Well, by the time he goes up there, who's going to be champion, right? Because Holloway, is he going to go back to 155? The weight cut on him is hard. So we're going to have to see what happens there. Uh, I wouldn't even... I'm not discounting Cejudo's ability to go to 145 eventually. I just think that 
whatever the timeline is for that and how much longer Max has there, these seem like very unknowable, potentially very distant things. Just don't worry about it. Thoughts on Rogan saying Dana is looking to set up Ferguson Cerrone rematch on the UFC 238 broadcast. This is getting, I mean, look, they just don't. I, I don't have a comment because I need to hear it, but if that's true, what do you want me to say? That, I, mean, I, I, have, I have made the case as effectively as I possibly can, and other media have as well, that the appropriate thing at this point is to give a guy a title shot. If they don't want to do it, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Uh, Ian says, always appreciate you staying up late to do these. Thoughts on how Ferguson does against Habib. Also, not a Madrid fan, but these Azard haters are hilarious. Well, no one likes Madrid because they're the kings of Europe, but uh, Ferguson probably will not do well against Habib. Again, the, I don't know that. I mean, I mean I could, again, I thought Cejudo was going to get washed two fights in a row, so take that for what it's worth. But I think what I would say is, um, what I would say is, if... Habib Tony has to hurt Habib in some kind of way so that there can be a prolonged fight on the feet to score points or a finish because on the ground going for submissions against Habib you never know but my hunch is that will get his guard passed and then he'll just get controlled the cardio I have less of an issue of, but the cardio of Habib is the one that's a question mark there. So there are ways for Tony to win, but he'd have to have the right application. Uh, Valentina killed somebody, says Andrew. Yeah, pretty close. Do you think Dan bears any fault for not getting in between Tony and Cowboy and being just too far away for the stoppage? I'd have to go back and rewatch it, but no, probably not. Probably not. That's a hard thing to do, and also, like... When you're throwing those combos and you're kind of in the heat of it, yes, you have to ask and demand more of the fighters, but you have to have a degree of humanity too. So, I don't think what I don't think what Tony did was great, but I don't think it's a scandal either. Who do you think would win, Gurger Gillespie or Islam Makachev? You mean if they fought each other? Probably Gillespie. Is there word on Curtis Blades' next fight? I haven't asked him. Um. What is your future with MMA fighting? Did you participate in the Vox Media walk-off? No, I'm not a, an employee. I'm contract, so I have nothing to do with that. Will you stay now that there's an agreement in place? Yeah, that has nothing to do with it. I'll just say this to y'all donks. <laughs> uh, a storm is coming. And I don't know exactly which way that storm is going to go because the weather patterns are hard to read right now. But... This is going to be an interesting month. It's going to be a very interesting month. One way or the other. One way or the other. But a storm is coming. Uh, okay. Just how good is Eddie Bravo? At like what? Dressing? Getting haircuts? Uh, let's see. It was great that Cejudo called, uh, talked about going to 145, says Tim. But did he cop out not saying Holloway's name? He's cringe AF, but if you want to call out Max, what do you think of his prospects? I mean, guys, he just won the bantamweight belt. They're not going to give him a featherweight belt, even an opportunity for a while, if ever. Why not Tony, top pound for pound, top five? Look at his resume. Um, you need some kind of a 
another champ or a belt to do it. John Jones says, uh, Jick Jit uh, says, John Jones versus the highest level of training for a special forces operative, same weight. Only rule is no weapon. Who wins? John Jones every time, no questions asked. Uh, Joe says, great analysis, Luke. Can't, I, I did like the McMap thing, which is not Special Forces, but even then Special Forces, what does that mean? Green Beret, Army Ranger, Marine Raider, Marine Recon. Like, wh- which one? Because they're all kind of different. Um, their hand-to-hand is not that impressive for the most part. It's not, not that impressive. It's their overall warfighting ability that is extremely impressive. But like just straight up no weapons hand-to-hand. You know, purple belt level. I mean, it's not, they're not, I mean, yeah, you, some of them are black belt, whatever, like a Jocko Wilnick or whatever his name is, but generally speaking, it's not, not that high level. Uh, <laughs> funny joke here. Someone says, uh, great analysis, Luke. Can't wait to hear it repeated in <laughs> broken English on below the belt <laughs> later this week. Be nice, behave. William says, thought on Joe's commentary being poor tonight. Already been over this. Lorenzo says, who should Henry fight next? I feel like Aljo deserves the title. Yeah. Or Joseph Benavidez, if he wins uh, at the end of this month. Either of those would be fine. You want to defend the belts? Defend the belts. That's what I think. Suarez should go to AKA. Why? She trains with a great team. She already knows how to wrestle. Why would What, what would be possibly be the benefit of going to a team where, where there are no women there? Or not very few anyway. Why do you think Tony, Jesus, fuck, there's a bunch of these. Y'all came up tonight. Holy shit. Why do you think Tony was so upset about the end? I think he was, remember how, um, um, well, he was getting booed, but he didn't want the fight to end that way, either, you know, striking after the bell or then the doctor kind of stops it. He wanted a clean win. And I think if you go back and listen to what Anthony Smith said after the John Jones fight, and then I interviewed him after, he's like, you know, I want a certain kind of, uh. How do you say? I want a certain kind of uh, um, release, catharsis. And he didn't get it. So I think there was part of that too, after being all the issues he's gone through. First thoughts on Aljo versus Henry. Pfft. Don't ask me now because I keep, I keep sleeping on Henry. So I'll just say Henry, but I don't really know. Uh, Survival Shepherd says, congrats on the baby. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Do you think Tony can conquer? I got a $50 donation. Salute to uh, Joe Blanco. Uh, do you think Tony can conquer the 170-pound division and become the first lightweight champion and welterweight champion? Jesus. Guys, he has to get it. I appreciate the question, but he's got to get a... Uh, he's got to fight Habib for, or, you know, or Dustin, whoever, first. Um, what's your pound for pound top 10 look like? I don't do any rankings. Uh, I get this question all the time and I don't answer it on purpose. What BJJ built to you? Uh, impressive enough to know the facts, not impressive enough to ever wow you. I make arguments about the video. I don't have a fighting background. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been, I've, I'm not some totally clueless schmo, but I don't. I'm not. I didn't fight in the UFC, right? Uh, uh, so what I do is I take that knowledge and I make arguments. People ask me, "What gives you the right to make the argument?" I'm like the evidence. 
The evidence does. There is too much credentialism, and there are people that know way more than me, and I don't have their titles, and I'm never going to have their titles, ever. And I know that, so I'm never going to rely on that. What I do have is, a, I think, a decent sense of things. Not a great, but decent. Uh, there's many more better than me, significantly so. And I make arguments about what's there. I don't rest on the credentialism. If that's not enough, then disregard everything I say. Uh, any oh, oh fuck Jesus, there are so many questions. Any updates on new shirts? No, not yet. I got to get this month this month's storm figured out. But after that, we'll see. Let me just let me let me just get through this month. <laughs> if you guys only knew, let me just get through this month and then we'll see how things go. Uh, imagine an alternative dimension where Demetrius Johnson won the second Cejudo fight and fought TJ and Marlon. Do you think the results would be similar? Huh? What a great question. I don't know. Man, that's a good question. Wow. From Muy GTO. Um, I don't know. That's a man. That's I. Uh, you gotta stop me on that one. So, the Marlin one, I doubt. The TJ one's a little bit more interesting at one twenty-five. Um, so I think maybe I'd say Demetrius splits those two. That's a tough one. It's a really tough one. It's a really tough one. I love that people are blaming like MMA. You know how little MMA fighting has to do with like the Carlos Maza, Steven Crowder stuff. Like they could not be less. They don't even work out of the same offices. It's like oh, you know. Vox is doing something. This dude wanted to put two bucks up to say it. It's like if that if y'all want to be mad about it, be mad about it. We got nothing to do with it. Like, <laughs> sorry. Uh, rematch on the Abu Dhabi card. TF takes injury spot. Yeah, Habib versus Usman. I go Usman. Uh, what do you think of the GSP clause in Habib's contract? Here's the thing about that. Everyone was like, "Oh, um, manager says Habib is the highest paid athlete in the UFC." Now, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm literally saying I don't know, but it's like, here's my question to you. How do you know? Did anybody who wrote that verify it? Again, it could very well be true. It could 1,000% be true. I'm just saying, I'm asking you, how do you know? Like, that seems like a claim that should be verified, right? Uh, before people are like, oh, yeah, it's for sure true. Might be. I don't know. I didn't see. I, I don't. I'm not aware of any evidence that it's true or it's false. I mean, if you if you thought about candidates who might be in the running to be, be like all right, McGregor. Who else, who else might it be? All right, the guy who beat him. All right, that seems like a not a, not a reasonable potential conclusion. But uh, how do you know? You don't. It's like the whole one weight cutting thing. It's like oh, one fixed weight cutting word. How do you know? Gary Tonin doesn't even get to see his opponents weigh in. <laughs> There's no evidence that's true, even a little bit. Uh, what do you think about Jimmy versus Jan? I felt Jimmy was beating him in the middle with the exchanges, but when the back was against the fence, it was pissing me off because there's only two options to circle out. That's the whole idea, man. The whole idea is let me push you back so that you can no longer... So like spatially, what are your options? Now I'm... I can't go back anymore. I can go this way, and I can go this way. 
that means the person who is corralling you knows these are your choices. I suppose you could blitz the middle, but they're prepared for that as well. So really, these are your two choices. So as a consequence, you're freezing because you're trying to find the right moment when like if 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 a striker is in the middle and he's facing somebody who's got 12 options, 15, 20 options, and the striker knows that, the striker's going to be hesitant, the person facing off. But if they push their opponent back and they know there's only two directions that they can go, they're going to be much more aggressive. And the person who is, has their back up against it is going to be much more hesitant because they know whatever move they make is going to be much more readable. So it ends up, again, it's not merely, it's not merely that it lessens your choices. That lessening of the choices alters behavior. You also see them, you'll see them get taller. They kind of lean up against the fence rather than kind of staying low, in part because they don't they can't literally crouch without running into space. It's it's a it's a devastating way to fight somebody. Uh, top three fights for Jones that interest you the most. For me, someone says Stepe, Stepe, and Ganu. I'll say um, DC. I'll say Stepe, and then I'll say. Still want to say Kane, but I don't know if that's true anymore. Um, yeah, maybe maybe it is Engano. Uh, any chance Real Madrid keeps James Rodriguez next season? Seriously doubt it. They sent him packing when Zidane was there. I don't think anything changes. Could be wrong. You never really know, but I doubt it. Okay, I got to call it a day. I got to call it a day. I appreciate it. this. Was a, I mean the questions were phenomenal. The numbers on the on the stream are phenomenal. I was I'm I'm so impressed and and honored you guys were here again one more time. Subscribe to this channel. I'm so tantalizingly close, y'all. I'm tantalizingly close. Help me get to 100k. I I will be there soon with your help and your participation. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next time, get some sleep.